Hello and welcome back to another episode of If My Feet Could Talk. Today's episode is run, throw, jump, repeat. And I'm absolutely super chuffed. I mean, proper turbo stoked to have this man as my next guest. He's one of my longest friendships. He's a former international athlete in decathlon and now Welsh athletics coach, Finn Corcoran. We will be talking to him about our friendships, our school, his athletics career, his coaching career, amongst other stuff. And I really do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello. Hi, Ryan. How's it going? Hey, not bad, mate. You? Yeah, good. Oh, it's been a long time since I've properly chatted to you, actually. I've, yeah, just, I've, been, uh, I've been deliberately just avoiding you. Yeah, fair one. <laughs> we usually <laughs> just message each other. <laughs> so how's it going? All right? How's the family? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. We're uh, muddling through, but um, the first rainy day today should give us a bit of a test. But um, other than that, we're all good, thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's been raining down here as well, so you're not alone on that. You know, it's not just the Welsh are having the fine rain this uh, this fine day. Yeah, I saw this morning on your uh, you've been out for a run because it wasn't raining here at that point, and I said to Stacey, I said, "Rain's on its way because Owen's wet." <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and sure enough, a couple of hours later, it got to us. Yeah, it stopped for the moment, so it's obviously up your end at the moment. Uh, so family's all well, yeah? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Yeah, good, getting by. Right, so um, let's get you to briefly introduce yourself to, to the listeners and, and to the world who listen to this. It's uh, global. Um, tell them a little bit about yourself, you know, a little bit of your history, a brief history, and then uh, we'll go into it a bit deeper as the chat goes on. <laughs> um, well, not that I like t- talking about myself, but... Um... <laughs> Yeah, so I, I've known you since primary school days, haven't I, really? So we uh, we used to be bits and pieces of kind of, uh, you're in the group of friends straight away, because I think we're kind of a similar mentality. But um, yeah, me then, sport-wise, I kind of always did everything, rugby, football, athletics, but kind of started to concentrate a bit more on athletics. Uh, eventually was an international in the decathlon, um, compete for England and Great Britain multiple times, did European Cup competitions, uh, seven or eight, oh, sorry, four or five of those. Went all over the world competing, training. Um, Dean Macy was my biggest rival, if some people have heard of him as, as we were growing up. We used to to and fro a bit when we were in the school days and then kind of he got, him being in London to start with, got a bit, bit of a jump start and I never never got near to catching him up. So, um, But I eventually went to London to university and uh, and kind of ended up training with him up there and, and sort of bouncing around some training groups up there. But, um, and that's it really. I, I, I met my now wife in, you know, 2004, 2003, sorry, she's, she'll tell me off. Um, we spent 2005 in Australia. Um, I had half an eye on the Commonwealth Games when I came back, but out there I didn't really train any technical, didn't do any pole vault, discus shot, anything. So, um, that kind of put an end to any of that. So then I just played a bit, bit of rugby and bits and pieces. Um, still did the tiny bit of athletics, although Stacey's never really seen me compete in a decathlon or anything, although I've competed recently in the odd thing just for fun. Um, but yeah, always keep fit. Now, now I'm coaching. I work for Welsh Athletics. Um, I'm the lead for jumps and combined events, but I also do some S&C work with some of the endurance guys, some of... Uh, your audience will know them, and I've just been speaking to them. I was telling them I was coming on. So, um, Jenny Nesbitt and 
Charlotte Arter and Clara Evans. I've just been doing a Zoom session with them. So um, Charlotte's the, the world's fastest park runner, um, female, and uh, and Jenny's not far behind. Same with Clara. Clara's more a longer distance. But she, um, so Clara, uh, we've got mutual friends, I think, in the ultra running community. I think so. Uh, we were just talking about, but. So yeah, so it's involved in athletics still. My boys are now getting to the age where they needed a bit of coaching. So eleven and eleven and eight. So yeah, that's that's about it. A brief history of me. Although there's kind of subcategories and subplots we could go off to it after. Every, yeah, well, we'll no, would no doubt will do as as we go along here. So you mentioned we pretty much grew up together. I, I moved to Cornwall in '84 from where you live now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Strange how things have changed around. Um, you, you know, I come down, you move away. Um, I don't know what you're trying to hint there. Um, so I've known you since, what, literally the age of six. You know, we went primary school together, secondary school together. Um, you went to uni, I went into the Navy, and our paths slowly separate. But we've always kept in touch. But I remember at a young age, your dad, yeah. Patrick, was my athletics coach at Cornwall AC. Um, so tell us a little bit about your dad and his influence on you and your sister Nova in regards to sports. Uh, um, well, he's he's started everything off really. He's, he's a, a lot of his mentality mentality is what I use now in my coaching and my approach to life. Really, is um, just try and it's, sport generally and athletics especially. It's just about movement and it's about basic human evolutionary skills that we've learned over time through evolution, thousands and thousands of years, running, jumping and throwing, um, and all movements we kind of neglect after, after childhood. Um, and my dad was more, a lot more about fun and about that type of movement, in, inventing our own silly walks, which you know, people would now call drills and <laughs> lunges. We'd, we'd call them silly walks, and we have, we'd, we'd have more fun than, than you know, the serious training, which possibly cost me at the very top end later in life but then if i if you push too too much too soon then you're just going to give up the sport because you'd be sick of it so yeah it's it's that it's that fine it's that fine line i I, i'm very much similar with my boy i don't want to push him too much because i know that pushy parent can end up either you might be lucky and the kid might end up going the right way or they may end resenting it and falling out of love with it well, and that's not what you want. Well, that's the thing because I'm now I'm involved in coach education as well. So I, I run courses for um, for Welsh athletics and for UK athletics. I'm a tutor on those, so I get to see all new coaches coming through the system. And something I try and stress to them is I say, like for example, with my 11 year old or with your son, you could push them because if they've got the right mentality, their body doesn't really have the anaerobic system, which limits how much they do. So they can just keep going and going, can I do another one, dad? Can I do another one? Can I do this, dad? Can I do it? So you could push them really, really hard and they'd be an amazing, and I see it all the time, an amazing under 15, under 13 cross country runner or sprinter or amazing at that thing, because you can push them and they will not stop. And so they will get much better really quickly. Um, and over time, but then they get to 16, 17, 18, and they're chronically injured. They haven't grown properly. Um, they just haven't got the movement because you've skipped all that just for pushing them hard. They haven't had fun, so they don't want to carry on a sport anyway. And so then they're just kind of chucked on the scrap heap. There's no, no sport wants them anymore. They're not interested in it. They're bitter because of it. Um, 
and that's it. So, so I'm trying to drum into coaches these days is just like how you just have fun with them. Guy, yeah, deliberate play and get the right movements in there. But let's let's do it that way. Let's make it fun and let's you know kind of do it properly rather than the other way around. Push push for success when you're 16. Um, and then nothing after that because it's a hell of a long life after that talking about when you used to be, you know, under 15 champion. If you're going to be talking about that for the rest of your life, you're not going to have much fun. So, yeah, that's one thing I do try and stress to people these days. But So basically leaving your audience wanting more. Exactly, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. And you sort of answered my next sort of question, but we'll, we'll go over it again. Do you feel that as a parent, like me, but as a parent yourself, that you are continuing on that legacy your parents have given you from your dad and your mum onto your kids? Oh, 100%. Everything, everything that um, I have or I'm about or that's influenced my life has been, been through sport, a, a great deal of it, and the value that sport brings. But you, you won't get that value if you just go too much too soon. You just, I mean, it's worse. Like you, all, all the stuff that sport has brought you, like, in, in recent years especially just the community you know the 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 way you act around people the way you know you treat people is all based on lessons you've learned through the hardships you've had in life yeah but in sport and so I think those are important lessons for kids you can learn them really quickly on a, on a football field or a rugby field or on an athletics track when you're standing there all on your own no one's going to help you mum and dad aren't going to come and help you you just you've got to run a race against somebody else, you know, against all these other kids, and I think you get massive, really quick life lessons from sport uh, that you can't get anywhere else. And you see sportsmen, you can you can tell because the way they talk, the way they carry themselves, um, with the confidence and the way they treat other people, um, is just a lot a lot better. They've got a much better perspective than than the general population who kind of have missed out on that education. Yeah, and it's. And it's all about having fun and moving. I, I, I think you bring a, a value point, point there. Sport is also education. It's not just, you know, kicking a ball around and earning big big money or it's not about, you know, going down uh, and just, I don't know, throwing a ball. You're, it is an education in, in itself of through that university of life. You know, it just depends on how long you want to carry that education on for. Isn't totally. It? It's not, sport isn't necessarily about being elite. It's nice to be elite if you can be, but it's about um, being active, being positive. And if you're, if you're sending that, like you do, that positive energy out around the world, um, hopefully something's going to come back your way in the end. You know, it's just, it's, it's just great life lessons in, you know, and having fun doing it. Yeah. I mean, I've looked up to you now all my life, not just because you're bloody taller than me, um, but because since we were since we we're knee high to, you know, our, our, our dads and stuff, you've always been that bloody talented kid. Yeah. <laughs> it was good at everything, even at the sports days. I've, oh, my parents were going through. They've just got the, you know, you know, the old photo slides oh, that you, they used to have. Right? Yeah. Well, my mum's got this new scanner thing now, which you could put the, the photos in and then it digitize it. All right, so she's having a whale of a bloody time, and she found these old um, sports days from Trelay's school when we were together. Um, and there's a picture of me, and I'm I don't know I'm in second or third or something like that. And there's a, it's a long shot, and there's a picture of a kid way out in front of everyone, and that was bloody you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that and that was pretty much my um, 
my growing up with you, you were always that kid who we could look up to, sporting and education. You were a top student as well. You did well in education. Um, you went off to uni and so forth and so forth. Um, and I remember this time when we were playing for Redruth School. We was, it was against Truro College. We were in sixth form at the time. And I still remember this try that you scored. It's, it's stuck in my brain. Um, I can't remember who passed you the ball. It was one of the lads. But I was, I was playing... I was a winger playing a hooker for the school, which is strange. So I was the fastest hooker on the field. But you were flying as centre. You had the ball. And it was my another mate that I knew through, uh, through judo who was playing for Truro at the time. He went, went to, came to tackle you. And you put the ball behind your back as if you were passing it behind your back. He, you sold him a beauty dummy. Next minute, you got it in the other hand and you brought it back round in front. And you've gone for the try. And he's on the floor going, where's the ball? Um, and... <laughs> It was moments like that, I think, that's uh, stuck in my memory of how uh, talented a guy and a kid you were. Um, and then, you, obviously, you went on to, uh, on to education and stuff like that. But how did you... This is bringing me on to the education side of things we've been talking about. How, how, how was it like to juggle your education and your sports, knowing that you were you know, training to become the, the next level? It wasn't just, you know... You running for the school or anything? You were looking at the next level. How difficult was that to juggle your sports and education? Um, well, kind of being good at everything was a bit of a blessing and a curse, really. But uh, my wife's laughing at me as I'm saying that. Is um, it kind of it's it gets you to a certain place being kind of good at stuff. And I, d- I don't know if I was good at stuff just because I I my dad did with me what I'm trying to do with my boys. I think it's a bit of you obviously inherit some sort of ability and then yeah you definitely have you definitely had a natural talent there was no doubt about it and you, even with a natural talent you still got to work hard we all know exactly that, you know so but that... to take it to the next level you got to work hard and that's what i'm trying to find out how how hard was it for you to to step up your game while still you know obviously going to uni and all that sort of stuff it was like it, it got to being talented just i was got a bit too complacent at times so Going off to university, everything up to that point had been easy. I didn't have to work very hard at anything, really, although I did enjoy training hard. But it's training hard back to back to back to back. I didn't really put together. I'd do a, set, a really hard session, and then I wouldn't do another one for a week or, or whatever. But And the same with work, with schoolwork, I kind of came naturally. I didn't do a lot of revising for my exams. Ended up going off to university a bit underprepared and a bit complacent, really, so... I got a pretty big shock within the first year because I didn't really train. I met some other athletes up there, but I kind of, I played a bit of football. I didn't really train athletics. And I came out of that first winter, having not trained, went to the British Championships, uh, no height in a pole vault, um, went to the car park and cried because I just, I'm like, right, this isn't, that's never going to happen again. So I, I kind of, it was a bit of a turning point with, with um, training and with, kind of schoolwork then you think that i'm gonna have to actually not waste myself here which is my parents have been telling me that for probably five years they used to sit (laughs) down and go look stop you're gonna waste yourself here if you do not knuckle down and work hard it's not always gonna be easy so yeah so kind of a turning point there when i was 20 21 i just thought right i'm not gonna duck out of sessions anymore i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna actually work hard and so that changed my mentality since then and now if i start a running session I used to start running sessions at that first year, university, second year, 
and B and kind of <clears throat> stop after three reps and go, oh, I was supposed to do eight, but I'm tired. No, be asked, but since, yeah. since that kind of turning point, I will always, always finish a session. Um, and it's kind of it's nice to have that in the back of your mind. Do you think, however hard it's going to be, you think, well, there's no, there is no other option, so I'm going to... Yeah, because you, you must still have days where you think, oh, fuck me, I, I, I really can't be asked <laughs> uh, today. Yes, you know, no, but... but then you get you get that motivation and you think back and you think actually boom yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna get this done you feel better exactly and, and i know my and my training is nothing like your kind of training because mine's quite over short and sweet and it's kind of heavy and intense but it's it's done and it might be hard for you know half an hour an hour but no more than that and and i just, I just know too many people that work way harder or at least as hard to kind of it would be disrespectful for me to kind of dip out of sessions in in and out. I think it's just, like I said, it's about the energy you put out around the world. And if that's kind of the energy you're putting out, ducking out early, then, then, you know, that's, that's no good. So. Yeah. I've, I've seen, I've seen some of your sessions on, on, on the Instagram stories and they make me want to puke. Um, I, it's, it's impressive. Some of the stuff you do. Um, like I say, you're still one of my, uh, biggest inspirations um, even though we're a complete not a completely different sport um, you know we're, we're in the field of athletics but you're different different discipline which requires different training but wow some of your stuff is just unbelievable um, and that brings us on to your athletics career and we've, you've gone over it uh, briefly but when did it properly start for you and what was your training like so for instance for, for the running side of it how many how many miles a week were you doing? What was your training schedule like uh, to, to hit that next level of eliteness? Well, um, so in the decathlon, we'd have, for those who don't know, we've got 100, 100 metres. Well, we go through the events in order. It goes 100 metres, long yeah. jump, shot, high jump, and then the 400 at the end of day one. So running-wise, I need to be prepared for 100, but also prepared for a 400. Uh, second day, you've got 110 metre hurdles, discus, pole vault, javelin, and then the world-famous 1,500 metres. So um, you've got to be a bit aerobic, but a lot of lactic, really, lactic work. So my training would be three three to four running sessions a week. I mean, track sessions, as in um, yeah. six to eight reps of like two to 300 metres, kind of two, three, four minutes recoveries. Kind of those sessions are the kind of the feel six sessions or 150s or um, nice short stuff compared to anything you lot would do. Um, Normally, especially during the winter, one one longer run a week, as in twenty minutes. Um, my, <laughs> I, love, I love how you say one longer run of twenty minutes. Um, <laughs> I could because when, when I was, I, I'm lucky for a decathlete in that I always did cross country when I was at school. So go, go, go back you to did, doing yeah, everything. Yeah. So, and I used to do the one, two, and the eight hundred meters. So I was lucky. I that, I kind of got that fifteen hundred meters for free. I was, I'd always be first or second in the 1500 meters come come the end of day two so i did have to work on it but my my vo2 max was 81.5 as well so it's like i've always had big lungs and the capacity to be able to am i do i remember correctly didn't you have a um a weird heart yeah that's right yeah in, in school i think because i was because i trained pretty hard i had one side of my heart um developed faster than the other side or something so it gave me kind of a an irregular heartbeat which was a worry for my parents for a year or more 
Um, we went to a few specialists and whatever. Ended up, because the first specialist just said, look, stop everything. You shouldn't be doing anything. And then eventually got down the road, because that wasn't happening, obviously. So um, it got down the road of when I started to actually move, like when I started to run, they put me on a treadmill in the end. When I started to actually run, my heartbeat just went perfect. You know, went sort of, sort of really, really regular yeah. instead of being like all over. It's when you so were resting. Was resting. So, so that kind of gave me the green light to crack on. And um, so that was nice. But that, yeah, that came from, they only found that when I was in hospital um, from a rugby injury. I was uh, got a knee in the back in the rugby and uh, ended up, they took my heartbeat when I was in hospital and they thought I was going to pass away or something. But no, fortunately not. But yeah, an odd one. But yeah, so yeah, aerobically, I was always okay. So yeah, running wise, it was all track work. And so on maybe weekends, I'd do some like 300 meter reps on the grass, um, which a lot of our athletes are doing at the minute because they can't get on tracks at the moment. So, um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my running training. Then I'd probably lift weights once or twice a week, do circuits once a week. And then you've got kind of eight other events of technical you've, you've got to try and cover as well. So some throw in at some point. And, um, but same thing, I say, because some of my athletes now are quite experienced in terms of multi-events. So I, I say, look, we don't need to just keep doing this event every single, you know, twice, two, three times a week, because you're not going to forget how to do this event. As long as you kind of can visualize the movement. And uh, so I got to a point where I didn't, some events I didn't really need to touch. So everyone's, how did you train for 10 events? So I say, well, I didn't. I trained to be powerful. And then I just brushed up on bits and pieces as I went. So um, it's, training yeah. for decathlon is fairly straightforward, really, um, even though it seems it wouldn't be. Although pole, pole vault kind of put a spanner in the works for, for everybody. But um, especially being from Cornwall, there wasn't really that many facilities, especially in the no. winter that you could use. But um so that was my probably overall downfall in terms of making an Olympic Games or anything like that was my pole vault was too weak because I didn't start it till I was 16, 17. Whereas, you know, I, I kind of missed a trip by then and it is all all on catch up after that. So obviously you still hit international level, which, you know, for a lot of people, um, they will never ever probably do um, for various reasons, but you managed to do it. But, how did you mentally handle the pressure of competing at such a high level? Um, the pressure's fine. It's, it's, the pressure's good. Probably the most nervous I ever was was the English schools, which prepares you well for international sport. It's, it's a really good school system, and you, you compete at, say, the Cornwall Championships and then the Southwest Championships. And then if your time or distance is, is good enough, you go up again in the English schools, and there's you know the best kids in England. Um so you got pretty high level straight away. And I, I did mo- most years I do so. I was javelin, I got a medal one year, um, under 15s. And then that's when we used to throw together. I threw that. I, yeah. I, do you know what? That, that was another one of these sickening moments for me. I took up the javelin and there I was. I was leading this, this discipline. Nobody else in my school was bloody doing it. It was great. And then you came along. You know, I threw, I don't know, 30 odd meters. I was like, yeah, this is brilliant. And then the next day, you came along and you threw 40 odd and that was it. I down to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd always kind of been good at throwing stuff, but I just didn't. I, the same amount, I don't really let, I don't think kids should be throwing javelin when they're too young. It's quite a violent event for the body. I think it's one of the most violent events in terms of being dangerous for injuries and stuff. If you do it properly, it's, 
Oh, it's power, so isn't it? It's stress on the body, it, yeah. Yeah, and you only have to get your foot in the wrong place and you, you roll it and you twist it, you break it. Exactly. It's, it's quite it, damaging, isn't it? It's, it's, it's an easy-looking mm. discipline. You know, there's no spinning around like like the, the, the putt or, or the hammer or anything like that. It's cross a few crosses of the legs and pure power after a, after a sprint up at yeah. the start. But you can easily... Screw yeah, I say, I say all the time it's the most violent event because it's just the, the forces involved in the tor- the torque and the, the rotation that the body has to create to get and the mobility you need in the shoulders and your and your hips and everything to, to actually pull off a decent javelin throw is quite. So yeah, I never really did it until um, until about that point, but then I was, I was quite good at it. So yeah, I got a national medal <laughs> of that quite quickly, and then I did four hundred meter hurdles as well, which. Um, which is a fun event, which I used to throw up after every every time. So I was at the, uh, so I won my heat at the English schools fastest qualifier, and then threw up in the uh, in the pen afterwards. So I e- eased up in the final. I got silver, but I was never going to get the gold. But I remember the last thirty odd meters. I thought I don't want to throw up again, so I just eased up a bit. And my dad was like, "What? That guy nearly caught you? Nearly got that? Oh, oops, <laughs> won't do that again either." But, um, <laughs> so yeah, that anyway, that could kind of set me in good stead for anything international then, and. Yeah, uh, so you know, you get the international thing. Yes, I got the vest, and then you think, right, you're not. I'm not supposed to be happy with that. So then you've got to go away and reset your mind to right and competing from a nation. And um, oh, I always loved it, loved it, loved the training, loved competing. And I didn't really feel a lot of pressure. No, you know, no more than you'd feel for when you're lining up for. Well, certainly not as much as you feel for when you're lining up for one of your 36-hour races, but. Um, just the standard nerves, really. So I always enjoyed. It. I probably got more nervous for rugby matches, maybe for rugby sevens matches. Although, come the four hundred meters, I was—I'd pretty much rather be anywhere else until that four hundred meters is over, and then, and then you're worrying about the fifteen hundred. Then, but so yeah. To be fair, at the time I was probably quite nervous, but not because it was an international, just because I knew that it was going to be yeah. hard, you know, hard, hard run and yeah. hard um, physically. I think I, I think I can uh, I can sort of agree with you on that. Even though mine are a different discipline, I always get nervous before an event. Even though I know I could run a half marathon easily enough, or I can run a marathon easily enough, I'm capable of doing them, not a problem. I, you know, even a 10k, yeah. I still get nervous before a race, only because you know my brain starts clicking. I was going to be, it's going to be hard. It's you know the weather's crap. And all this sort of stuff, and I, I turn into what my wife calls me a race, a because I, I can turn into a right nightmare sometimes pre, pre night of, a, of an event. Um, but once it's once you're in, you start exactly. to settle, don't you? No, um, as you were saying so. that before, you just said that last bit. I was thinking the same that I used to, um, even for train, if I had running session to do, I'd get I'd get nervous, and so I'd be a right grumpy sod before, and Stacey would be like, "Look, just go training." Um, because I've got, I'm nervous, and it's exa- the same. And I haven't had that recently until I got the row machine. And now I'm like, oh god, I got the row machine. So now I'm not, I'm not grumpy. Well, I don't I think I am. actually I am. But um, <laughs> there's more laughing. Yeah, I can hear um, Stacey in the background. Yeah. No, that, but I love it. I love that. No, I don't love the thing, but then I'm, you, you do it, and the the worse you feel before. And I tell my boys, yeah. like, um, the worse you feel before something the better you feel after. You finish that and you're like, you feel Definitely. sick maybe, but in five minutes Definitely. time you feel brilliant. You're like, oh, I'll have a beer now. And like, brilliant, I've achieved something. I was nervous, I did it. 
and, and I've come out the other side and I feel amazing. So and I think that's a good thing on life in general. If you've got a job interview, something like that, you feel that you're terrified, well, you're prepared, go into it. You know, you're going to feel good after. I say to my boys all the time, I don't want to go to school today without they've got this, got that. Look, the worse you feel now, I know you're nervous. I mean, because sport has taught me this lesson, I promise you, the more nervous you are now, the better you'll feel at the end of school when this day is over. And I said, it'll go in a flash, you know, before you know, I'll be picking you up from school and you'll be smiling, I'll go see. So, yes, life lessons. Definitely. So, so what was your highlight of your athletics career? What, is the, what was the pinnacle for you? And what, what was your worst? So for me, you know, I had a DNF in, in, in a race, whatever you, that was quite a low thing and I learned a lot of lessons from it. So what was your highlight and what was your, your lowest um, point? My highlight in terms of accomplishment, probably, as I mentioned, European Cup um, combined events competition. So we'd take a team of four decathletes, Great Britain team, over to different places. So I went to Lithuania, Sweden, Denmark, um, all over, all over Europe. And uh, so I enjoyed that in terms of actual, you know, on paper, what's your best accomplishment? But the thing I enjoyed the most was just being around that kind of atmosphere. And and recently, now that I'm working back back in athletics, just being around that the buzz of that high performance on training camps, you know, let's say South Africa, California, training down in Australia, um, that kind of, to me, is the pinnacle of my... Do you need? Do you need someone to carry your, your, your kit bag? <laughs> <laughs> I'll happily come and. Uh, but those, those are the kind of the best things, and the, the worst thing is that there's been too many to count. There's, there's, you know, it's. Um... What was the very worst though? What What was the one that sort of you went? That was the lowest of my life in that. It's probably. Um, I've had, had numerous. No, no height. So you're in a decathlon, and if you, for example, I even did it in a high jump in Germany. So you get, so you compete for Great Britain. You go abroad. They, you, all this effort. Yeah. You do a couple of events. I, I nearly no jumped in the long jump one one time, and that's only the second event. But so the so the fourth event is the high jump. You're opening height. You pick what you want, and I came in obviously a bit too high for for the warm up warm up I'd done or how my body was. But so I had three no jumps. And so you kind of got a no height. So then, yeah. So that's a that's a that's a DNF to us. Other not because you can carry on, but you've got so what even in your jump? No, you, you're out. You're out of that event. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, that, that's what I meant. Oh, sorry, that, DNF, DNF the high jump. You can carry on, yeah. and this is another lesson that I've learned, and I tell my athletes yeah. till they're sick of hearing it. Um, that. So you, you've, you've done three events, you've cocked up the fourth one, you've still got the 400 metres to go, and then you've got five events tomorrow. But you're basically going to come last because you've got nine events and everyone else is going to have the points for 10 events. So you've got no chance in yeah. a competition overall. And you're, going to get, you're never going to get a PB. You know, and your motivation is out the window. So it's like, what do you do? Do you stop? And no, I'm not going to do the 400. I'm not going to come back tomorrow. Or do you go, right, I'm going to try and get a PB in the 400 now. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah, use it as training and morning. I'm going to try and get PB in here. I'm going to try and get, but I, I, so I know height in a high jump. And then, as long as you start the 400, you don't have to. You can still stay in the competition. So low point. So I, I bomb out the high jump. I then just do the first couple of steps of the 400. So I don't even have the presence of mind to run yeah. hard. I chicken out of that. So then I come back the next day. I run the hurdles. Not bad. Three no throws in the javelin. I've never, 
never done that before <laughs> or since. One over the line and two out of yeah. the like, How can you only get three attempts in into Kafla? Um, yeah. So it was that. So it's a shameful performance, not only technically but my attitude. And so, but I do yeah, not mentally. Let any of my athletes now, unless they're injured, stop. So if they know height, they knew this. So I said, right, you know, we're finishing, right? And uh, oh well, I thought because uh, it's a relief actually. Oh, phew, I don't have to put myself and my body through anything else, but. No, the attitude now is yeah. no. You finish it. You're a you're a multi eventer. You're not a multi eventer if you quit. You aren't in every event. Yeah. Ever you can. You'll you'll benefit more from exactly. it than not. So doing I it. wouldn't even call it a low point. I just call it a disappointing moment that I learned a lot from. But yeah, yeah, and uh, and oh. all of these things. You're not, and you say about competing internationally. That's, it's not, and I tell it's something else I tell people all the time. I'm, you're not, you're not going to be judged in a few years of whether you made the Commonwealth Games, whether you've got a gold, whether you've got fifth. It's nice in the moment, but you're, you're not defined by that. You're actually defined by how you treat people and how you know how you carry yourself. So, oh, definitely. It's like you call them accomplishments. I just they're, they're all lessons, good and bad to me. It's just something that gets you to you know become a better person, good, good and bad things. So, obviously, during this time, you would have had to follow strict diets, stuff like that. Watch what you're eating, watch what you're drinking. Uh, you know, no neck and nominate <laughs> type stuff every day. Uh, what you know? What was your diet like back in those um, days? To be honest, it was terrible. I'm, um, I'm <laughs> one of those uh, annoying people that kind of stays, doesn't put weight on. Um, yeah, you've got so, a high metabolism. And looking back now, obviously, it's one thing I'd do because we we're big on it. Welsh athletics. We've got a nutritionist, and um, I try and speak even to my young athletes. Just try and get them, get the message to them early that look what what have you had to eat today? What are you going to eat after you finish this session? This would be a good idea. Have you got what what type of liquid have you brought with you to drink? Is it water? Because if not, you know these these kind of drinks aren't any good for us. You know other than if you need stupid calories like you lot do. Um, so, yeah, it's trying to get the nutrition. So now, if I have time again, I'd, I'd have a lot better diet, I'd like to think, um, and because I know what difference that makes to performance in the end. So if you don't, even if it's not a yeah. kind of aesthetic thing where you're putting on weight, your actual performance that your body can uh, produce on a sub-perfect diet is, is obviously um, not optimal. If, if you're not kind of fueling it properly. So you chose the wrong discipline. You should have come into mine where it's, it's like, it's like an eat, eat as much as you want buffet uh, during these races, literally pizza, sandwiches, cake, Guinness, you name it. We've done it all. You've chose the wrong sport, I think. <laughs> so you obviously, you know, some top athletes, you've already dropped a couple of names right there uh, during it. You know, hello, D- hello, D Macy. Um, <laughs> obviously, you competed against them, Dean. Um, but who was the one that really stood out for you that you maybe, obviously, Dean Macy aside, but out of all the athletes that, that were on the field doing whatever discipline, who really stood um, out for you and why? Erky Nolan at the Cathlon uh, for Estonia. He's, he was uh, Olympic champion in 2000. So he, he was always kind of... Um... 
he's almost a legendary. He had the Erky Nall fan club. People would follow him around in these Erky Nall t-shirts, and he was kind of a legend of the sport. Um, and some of our training camps as well. Daily Thompson used to come out to California because he was good friends with my coach at the time, Greg and Dean's coach. So um, it's nice to be around those kind of people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got I got a lot for everyone from everyone I competed with or against or trained with, or and I got lessons I that stick with me every single day that I, I've learned from from other people. Jamie Corey, um, a Commonwealth medalist in the decathlon, he, I used to train with him, and he at the moment he's cycling John O'Groats to Lambs End virtually. Actually, um, he. He always taught us after a running session. There was a famous photo of Daley Thompson who just be, was standing up above everybody at the end of the fifteen hundred. Everyone else was just lying on the floor. He was just stood up, and he'd, he'd always show us that photo and say, "Look, I'm still standing." So after every single running session, it, people would be lying around on the floor. It'd be like he'd just be picking people up, going, "We're still standing. We're still standing." And so it's little things like that you get from. You know the great athletes you've trained with and competed with, and, yeah. and there's too many to name. There's too many that just on on the top of my head at the minute. But just you know, every everyone, every, take a little bit from everyone and everything. You know, and try and try and give a bit to everybody as well. So not you know that sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? But <laughs> no, no, no. I totally, I totally get what you mean. You know, if you if you if you're taking in the the knowledge and the advice from or, you know just either by witnessing or being actually told. It, it's paying that kind on, isn't it? Best, you know what you've learned, and the best way onto the I others. Say to my boys, I keep saying that, but um, my my lads head boy this year, and I said, to them, "How would you think the best way to show people or to tell people how to act is?" And because I've been telling him every day for his whole life, he says, "Well, I just need to act in the right way, don't I?" So if you, if you model your behaviour, if you do, you behave how you think people should act, then they don't you don't even need to say anything. You just the way you act should tell them they should learn from you as long as your message is good that um you know your behavior you should pass it on just by doing it i, sh- I should get a lot of people ransom exactly. yeah. by, by the sounds of it <laughs> <laughs> so when you retired from competitive decathlon um what what, what year did you officially like no um, more competitive well, decathlon I was only in my early twenties, really. I'd say before I met Stacey, but I was uh, I was in Oxford, living, trying to train twice a day, working in a shop. I was travelling down to London to see Greg twice a week, um, and it was just getting a bit too much. And I got to the weightlifting platform in um, Ifley Road, where Roger Bannister ran his four-minute mile. There's a gym. There's a gym there from the university. Got on the lifting platform, just looked at, set the weights bar up, and just, just. Thought, I don't, I don't want to pick that up. I, I, don't, I have no motivation. And like, I went in the car and just cried. And then I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, you know, it's too, it's too hard. I wasn't, there wasn't any lottery funding then. There wasn't anything, yeah. um, which is fine. I don't think yeah. people should be entitled to that. I don't think I'm, I'm not entitled to anything. I, you know, and I greatly appreciate anything anyone's ever done for me. But um, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And I don't know if I regret it or not, but because um, it was probably a bit early. So then I, I, I just played some rugby then, but um, and I got a bit of cash for that, and I, which was nice because I got to know another community and played a lot of sevens. Went to New York sevens, Portugal sevens, uh, Dubai sevens two or three times. Um, so it kind of just changed. 
do do you think that helped you with that uh, the mental side of it? As we know, you know Dame Kelly uh, Holmes, she struggles badly from uh, mental health because of the the stopping of the competition and you know the focus of the training and everything else she had. Do you feel going into the sevens then sort of helped that sort of uh, with the mental side of things of not competing anymore on a high level? Um, well, it's like now with. Well, I just tra- why I train so hard is I can't I can't live without it. It's, I would uh, I'd feel horrible about myself. You know, I just it's it's impossible for me to comprehend what type of person I would be. I would I'd be a horrible person if I didn't train hard or didn't have a sport to do. And it's not I've come from athletics. I'm quite lucky that I'm quite um, intrinsically motivated. I just motivate myself rather than having to have a team around me. So because if I done too much rugby earlier on I would have been kind of relying on the team and I, I feel sorry for those guys who just stop and have nothing else um, because that must be devastating and, and like you 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 kind of use it as an outlet and without without running you know you, you can't imagine what you would be like could you so well 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 I could I could go back to my <laughs> 20 stone fatness I think <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's more than that now. Yeah, and I, I totally ag- agree. You know, it's that it's that release, isn't it? it you know, it's it yeah. stops you from being a dick um, for a lot of people. Uh, so um, we'll move on to your coach part now. All right, you are a Welsh athletics coach, um, and you've you know you're tutor for UK athletics and stuff like that, and you've won awards. You know, uh, again. Your bloody brilliant coach, obviously. Otherwise, you wouldn't get awards. Um, there's, there's no ends to your talent. But what is, what do you feel is the most important thing you about being? A, you know, if if I was to be a coach, if I was going to be a new coach, what is that one important lesson you would tell me uh, about being um, a coach? That's quite straightforward to answer, and it's quite poignant at the moment. But I won't go into why because it's. Um, complicated but the most important thing when, when you are a coach the most important thing is the athlete so and I don't mean the athlete as a performer I mean the athlete as a human being so um, the first thing you should do in a training session is talk to that person and uh, talk, no matter how big your group is every person hello even how's your day you know if you look after the person first so this is the way I do it. So I look after the person. So I talk to them, see how they are, how they're doing as a person before we even think about training or talk about it. Then it's what's their movement looking like. So we get them moving. Let's warm up. So don't just go on two laps warm up. You go, I'm, I need to watch you warm up or warm up with you or all together. Or Because otherwise, especially if it's kids, they're not going to tell you they've had a rugby tournament. If it's an, an elite athlete, they might not tell you they've got a little bit of a niggle. If you can watch them warm up, you go, oh, okay, why are you moving? You know, what's the matter? Oh, I didn't sleep last night. Oh, I thought, thought so. So you can just spot little things by watching them move. So you treat the person first. You treat the um, the person as human. You treat the movement second. So how are you moving? Then you go, then you train. So it's, it's in that order. The most important thing is that athlete as a human being, not that athlete as an athlete. And that's what a lot of people just neglect. And just because they're too self-important as a coach, they want to make the coaching session about themselves and about, oh, I've been on this course, I've been on that course, I've, I've listened to this, I've listened to that, I've got this, I'm this level coach, I'm that. It's not about the coach, it's about the athlete. And it's not about the athlete 
as a sports person, it's about the athlete as a human being. Because without that, you've got you've got nothing. I think you pretty much nailed it on the head. Um, and I'm going to change tack now. I, I I'm pretty sure I remember your dad running running the London Marathon and coming into the primary school and telling us and showing the, the foil. Uh, the, the the foil blanket and the medal and yeah, stuff like that. Memory, yeah. Am I right? You did that? Um, yeah. yeah, I've got my, uh, my memory is is pretty good. Um, I'm crap with everything else, but I'm pretty good at remembering stuff. Um, have you run an official marathon yet? If not, do you plan um, to? So yeah, my dad did marathon three or four times, and my mum did it with him once. But um, I've done a half marathon four or five. No, probably six or seven years ago now. Cardiff half. I think you did it about yeah, one one thirty one. As I say, my aerobics always been yeah, okay. So for a kind of a ninety five kilogram power athlete, it's kind of not bad. But um, and from that, I was hoping. Well, I was, I was planning in the back of my head. I'll get get an Ironman done because that's obviously as kind of a manly kind of man. I like to think of myself. So it's like, well, of course, I've got to tick that off at some point. So. Um, yeah, because you're a handy swimmer as well. Back in the day as well. <laughs> you still hold all the school records. <laughs> I can handle myself right. in most sports. So, um, so I kind of planned to do that, but then that coincided with after that marathon training, I got a bit more into kind of um, my weight a bit more. So I kind of probably put on a bit of size in terms of musculature. Um, and that's that's the terrible excuse because I know some big guys who run a marathon. But uh, um, and yeah, <laughs> I had a couple of years without a lot of running, and then when I went back to it, my, I had a lot of calf issues, and, and can, to this day, so whenever I run um, even track sessions now, consistently after three or four weeks, I kind of my calves break down again. That's just an excuse because I should just do some conditioning for the calf, but I'm too lazy. <laughs> so um, it's kind of just doing those little things that I'm not doing at the moment. But I do plan at some point, I'm 40-something now. 42? Right. That's you're, for, you're 42, 42, mate. You're 42. So, 42, um, mate. It's all right. I know. Yes, is your answer. I will do a marathon at some point and I'll stop finding excuses. Yes. Um, because I will, I'm, yes. you know, I can't go through life <laughs> having not done a marathon. It's just, it just doesn't quite fit. But then... Exactly. Especially when your so old man has done is, some, you know what I mean? Like, well, of course you're doing a marathon. You, you know, you're... Ah, it's, it's, the thing is, it's not, it's not your yeah, remit, it's... though. You know what I mean? You are, as you've already said, you are a multi-eventer, uh, former rugby player, etc., etc. It's not in your nature. You're not. You weren't a born training marathon. You what? You weren't Mo Farrell or whatever. You were a multi-eventer. Yeah. And if it, you and if you and Thomas know, and stuff like bugger. that can yeah, do that, I'm so sure you can. Yeah, I will do one. <laughs> I will do one. Excellent. Right, and you've got some beautiful trails by your house. I, I love watching your stories, you know, when you take the dog out for a walk or the kids up, or you do some training up up, up on your trails uh, near your house. If after all this uh, situations happen and you can go for a run on your beautiful trails up where you live on your doorstep, who would you look? Is there anyone you would like to do it with uh, that well, you haven't done? Obviously, aside, family aside. Obviously. <laughs> well, obviously, that's going to happen um, one day. No, anyone. 
no, whatever. There is no kind of. Do you, you mean what? What do you mean? Uh, in that, like, is there anyone I desperately go for a run with? Yeah, yeah. Do you, you know what? You you haven't caught up with someone for a long time, and you, you know, a bit like me, you haven't caught up with me properly for a long time. Is there anyone that you know you just fancy just going? Because you know what? It's, it's nice to go for a little bit of a run and a catch up and a jog, uh, enjoy the scenery and just you know take in everything. And obviously, you've got such beautiful. Uh, countryside and stuff where you live. Who would you like to <laughs> right, share that I know with? You're from the ultra running community. We normal people don't go for runs to catch up. We we have a beer, we have a beer and like oh. have, a, have a chat or like. Well, we do that as well. Enough. We do that actually during normal people don't go. We, for we a go viral pub. They go for, I, I'm not talk, If I'm running, mate, I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm like, look, don't talk to me until we finish. <laughs> you, you know, sometimes it's all right to slow well, down, don't you? That's funny because you're gonna have to slow down with me because my tutor now. I also tutor on um, the leadership in running fitness course, and so for me, that's a completely new community Mm. um, kind of tutoring running leaders. We've got an interesting tutor, Colin, on board. I'm not sure if I should have said his name, but um, he's he's got a nice way of putting it. He's because he he does some couch to 5k stuff, He's, he's catching some elite guys as well, but. He does some also yeah. some local stuff, and he says he calls it chatty running, and that's that, that's your aerobic running. But I never my yeah. twenty minute runs never used to be chatty; they used to be quite quick. I know. <laughs> well, it was only no, bloody it was twenty, 20 minutes. minutes. What can I'm, you talk about? Twenty minutes I'm, for God's sake! Huffy puffy. <laughs> he would call it huffy puffy. You see, so that's balls out. Anaerobic running is huffy puffy, and then my really fast running yeah. would be called sparkly running. So he, he's got a nice. But I'm put, oh, sorry, to cut oh, long story short, I never ever do chatty running, so I probably should. <laughs> well, when I come up, you're going to be doing what we call good. sexy paced, my friend. <laughs> sexy paced, where we both look good <laughs> and we're having a chat. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right, and finally, mate, uh-huh. finally, Project Hop. All right. Obviously, you know I'm a big supporter of your Project Hop. Um, tell the listeners and stuff. And what is Project Hop? Hop, why did you start it all up? Um, so Good question. Yeah, give, us got, a, give us a lowdown. Project Hop T-shirt on now, actually. Um, and no one really, no one really knows what Project <laughs> Mine's Hop the is. It's just, um, I, well, I started my gym, um, my garage gym, um, officially started it ten years ago this year. Um, and that's, as I say, that's my kind of savior. That's where I go to train and my therapy and everything. But um, so that. I used to call that the, I used to hashtag HOP, House of Pain. So that's what that became, House of Hop. So that's the House of Pain. And then um, the project came around because of um, copyright, because of The Rock. So he, he had Project Rock with all his um, all his merchandises, Under Armour gear with a, with a picture of the, the bull's head on it. Um, so I thought that's quite catchy. So um, when we came to do this charity thing, um, I thought I'm going to steal that. So on these T-shirts, and I'll explain about the charity in a sec. Um, on these T-shirts, I thought I can't just have Hop on the front. It looks a bit kind of weird. So I went for Project Hop. So then that became the name of my my garage gym. It is the is Project Hop because everyone's a project, right? But um, so then, oh, you're back. Not sure uh, what happened there, but I lost you. <laughs> I think. I think my phone rang, and so I. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, oh, this it, is what happens when you when you're so popular. So, 
we we got to the point where your your, your sister uh, sadly got the news that she had cancer. Um, right, yeah, because I, I carried on talking for about five minutes. <laughs> I lost you, but um, it was beautiful stuff. I'm sure. um, so, so yeah, so my sister, unfortunately, my sister Nova, unfortunately, got diagnosed with cancer. So we had hashtag Supernova on the back of these T-shirts that I uh, I got done because she was carrying on. Um, through chemotherapy, she was carrying on being positive, sending a positive message out. Like I said about sending a positive message about when it, whatever you're doing, send it out around the universe, and hopefully it'll come back to you. So, um, so we did these T-shirts, Project Hot Supernova. Um, you've obviously got one. So I sold some 350 odd all over the world. So I sent about 50 to Australia, some some to America, Hong Kong, um, all over all over the place. So. Um, and we got people to kind of hashtag supernova and just out doing something active um, because that's what Nova wanted um, just to set a good example and just say, look, whatever life throws at you, just react positively, do something active um, because you don't know how lucky you are. So, yeah, we got all these T-shirts going. It ended up being a, a massive thing that way bigger than I thought. So we raised, you know, three and a half thousand pounds, which, you know, Sometimes seems like nothing. Sometimes seems like a lot, but um, so. That's it. But it's just a good thing to react positively to some really kind of bad news. Which, yeah, yeah. Which is what which again, which is one another one of these life lessons that comes past. You, you know, you know, you know now who would kind of stand by you and how you would react in a bad situation. So it's like these, like this time now, we're all in a bit confusion. It's not a very nice situation, but you know who's going to react positively to it and you know who's just going to hide away um, and kind of go, crawl back under their rock. So you know who you can kind of rely on um, to be positive. And I think it was a kind of a powerful thing that um, that she did. And how, how is your sister doing? She's okay. So she had, um, she won't mind me telling you, she had a mastectomy in the end. Yeah. Um, and for the moment, she's in remission. And the, the type of cancer it was, was kind of, without tempting fate, kind of fairly um, common that it comes back. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully not. But she's obviously trying to self-isolate because she's almost at risk at the moment. But no, she's good. She's good. Her hair's all grown back. Um, she's kind of in a, in a good place, really. Um, no, that's good to hear because, as, as you know, I've got a lot of links uh, with with the, unfortunately with cancer, losing a best mate as well as mm-hmm. my dad. Luckily, touch woods, he survived it and he's he's been all clear for a few years. But you know, you know people tend to forget about, every, especially with this situation that's going on. People tend to forget that there's still people uh, having to to battle on. Exactly, um, it's like your with other the, things, you know. Yeah, your message the other day said that, didn't it? On social media, said exactly that, but. Yeah, which is a nice message. That's brilliant. Um, I'm glad she's uh, doing all right, mate. Um, and this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I reckon I could chat to you all day, but I think you know we, our wives would kill us if we carry on chatting for too long. <laughs> so, um, it's been amazing, mate. And, and when all this is uh, this crazy situation is over, we'll definitely get that sexy pace run on, mate. Sexy pace, I, yeah. yeah to, and a pint, obviously, um, because. You know, if you come running with an ultra runner, you've got to have a pint. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we'll get that on. We'll sort that out after all this is uh, happening because 
you know, we, we, we love Wales and our, um, being Welsh, we love to go back there anyway. So um, we'll get that sorted. But uh, listeners, if you enjoyed that and all that, subscribe. Uh, thanks to Finn uh, for joining me today. It's brilliant. I uh, hope you all enjoyed it. Um, subscribe, download these episodes and uh, look forward to making some more. Thanks, mate. And I'll catch you later. Hey, all the best, mate. See you soon. Love to the family. Big love. Cheers, Cheers, bye. Mate. Keep up good work. So that was uh, Finn Corcoran, uh, one of my oldest, longest friends. Um, I've known since we were six. Follow him on Instagram, Finn underscore hop. Um, amazing. You should check out his sessions. They are sickening. But that was brilliant. I uh, hope you all enjoyed it. As I said, subscribe, uh, give us a review and spread the love. Till next time.